0: Otis' presence with us is a answer to prayer. He came very near death uh, with COVID, and we're so sweet to hear him read the scriptures today. Alive, which is really nice to be alive. Amen? It's like, you weren't sure about that. You're like, oh, I'm thinking about that, man. So I started the ministry um, really, really young. It was about 45 years ago. And uh My first two churches were little country churches in Ohio along the Indiana border. They were congregational churches there. Um, And um, I'm not sure why I was called, maybe because they they couldn't get anybody else. That's seriously probably true. Anyway, but the Lord in his providence allowed me to pastor those churches. I pastored the first one before I met Lois and and then went to get some school. And then I came back and Lois and I were together. in the second one, they had a little parsonage. Our firstborn son was born there. Those people that were in those churches, the older ones, had been born um, back in a time when they had lived through some p- tremendous upheavals in the nation, through two world wars, some of them. All of them had a vivid memory of the Second World War and of the Great Depression and other horrifying things like the Vietnam conflict and such. And, and they were, they were influenced by them. I, I, those people, many of them were farm people and they were okay with me just dropping in. You know, if I was out and about in the countryside, I would just drop in and, and they would visit in, in the summertime and they would always um, take me to the garden and they would pick out some garden vegetables and they would share with me or, or they'd stop because they paid me uh, modestly. It was a small church. They did what they could. They are very generous, but it was very modest, and so they are real careful. They would give us uh, cuts of meat from the freezer every once in a while, or, or wonderful ru- ripe tomatoes, or, or green beans that you can't buy anywhere. You can only get them from people who grow them in their own own garden, and the reason those people gardened was because they knew what it was like to be hungry, or to be afraid of being hungry, and they were serious about gardening because to them, it was kind of like a life and death thing. My dad lived through that time, born right at the end of uh, the Great Depression and to a family that didn't have much. And he tells me he had a bike during, you know, war years that, um, that was uh, so cheap. It was made out of such cheap materials that when it broke, he went to a, a, a local uh, fella to have it um, uh, welded, and the guy couldn't find enough metal on it to weld it. He said, I'm sorry, just this, this bike can't be repaired. My dad had a vivid memory of how poor they were. They lived, if you see where they lived, it really was on the poor side of town, on the other side of the tracks. And dad said, not complaining, but, he, but just to describe their poverty, he said, uh, my dad, whenever he gets a, a, a care box with Operation Christmas Child, with, even though most of the world plays soccer and not like American football." My dad didn't have a football when he was a kid, so my dad never packs a box without putting a football in it. Because with, he was a boy, he played football with a, uh, he and the neighborhood kids would play football with a uh, Quaker Oats canister. And then when it wore out, the game was over. And, uh, and so, you know, they, they didn't have a lot. And so the stories of my youth, when I listened to people in my church when I was young, and when I listened to my parents and grandparents, they had lived through dire times. They had lived through distressing times. They had lived through a time that had an ominous name, the Great Depression. And if you're perceptive, and I know you, and I know you are perceptive, and you that are deacons um, and elders in our church leaders and teachers and such, I've talked with many of you, I think we all agree we live in a, in a very difficult time. in a a dire time, in a time it'd be easy to mourn or be depressed or discouraged. uh, There's an epidemic of anxiety, depression, fear. It's true. I was talking to my dad about that and he, having lived through some of these times, said that the the COVID and the upheaval of the COVID, a worldwide epidemic or the fear of a worldwide epidemic and how it touched even some of our own families right here, it doesn't get worse than that in some cases. Just dire, depressing, fearful, anxious and sometimes we have this anxiety that's unexplainable and this is what we find in of all people the prophet daniel i i would be tempted to think well if i had heard from angels and stuff if i had been in the lions den and been delivered i might be immune from depression after that i might just go through life going ain't scared of nothing but this is not true daniel was tuned to the spiritual world And in this text, in Daniel chapter 10, 10 and 11 and 12 are one unit because this is the fourth and final vision given to the prophet Daniel. And this is just the introduction to it in chapter 10. It's an amazing narrative. I'm sure you realize when you read it and you studied it this week and when you heard Otis read it, it is one of the most fascinating passages of Scripture in the Bible. And it's just the introduction to as Daniel finds himself literally in this powerful angst because of the the, the despair around him, and because of the hardship around him, you could say the fear, anxiety, depression, all around him. He's mourning and he's fasting and he's walking by the river. And then we're, we have an encounter in it, in this wonderful passage. Our four or just five? I'll say four, and then I'll give you a bonus ways to fight fear. How to fight, how did Daniel fight fear? And and you can help others who are fighting fear, or anxiety, or depression, or discouragement, or mourning, or something bad happened, and you feel like this is out of control. In this text, maybe that's why almost everyone agrees that we are now facing an epidemic of fear, anxiety, depression, despair, mourning, sadness, soul angst. I, I don't want to discourage you more but let's be candid i think we are overseeing the decline of the christian church in america right now and as a result doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that god isn't present and at work but it means that god's people should know what they're doing and they should be sober and serious and they should take up the things that god has given them yesterday one of my daughters arranged a time for a huge bunch of our grandchildren and children to be together in a place, and I got to see in a really rare, Lois and I got to see in a really rare opportunity a whole bunch of our little offspring and grandchildren all in one place all day. And you couldn't help but think, as you saw them run from one ride to another, what is the world going to be like that they're going to grow up in? And will they cling to God? And will they know God? And will they follow God? And will they resist the spirit of this age? And if so, how? Can't help but think that. So we look at a man like Daniel, who did in a very dark hour, in a powerful testimony, very encouraging, in Babylon. He lived his almost entire life in Babylonian captivity. And yet he flourished spiritually. So that should, that should harden us, that we too in a time of spiritual decline could have spiritual vitality. But how? And so we see it in this. What we want to do here is go through that that we just read again and let me back up to chapter 9 so you get the full force of it. So now Daniel is praying in chapter 9 and searching the Scriptures. He realizes the appointed length of the Babylonian captivity is approaching the end. He realizes this. He begins to fast and pray and humble himself to pray towards what he knows God has said he's going to do. That's in chapter 9. In response to the prayer and deep concern for the people of God in the name of God, God gave Daniel a special skill to understand prophecy and revealed to him his plan for the future of Israel in an angelic visitation. This is what God's people do. They see God's plan moving forward. They search God's word. They pray into it and cooperate with it. And they're heartened by it. They're informed by it. Then he's given this amazing prophecy, which I tried to explain last week. Thanks for being patient with me. The 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel recorded in Daniel 9, 24 and 27. And whether or not I made that really explicitly clear, you have to admit there's something going on quite remarkable there. God is giving Daniel, a. a, 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 he's basically saying to Daniel, not done with Israel, not done with you, you're going to fight for hundreds of years, but it's going to end well. It's kind of the same thing he says to us. Not promising you, you're not going to face horrifying hardship and a serious conflict, which this passage says right at the beginning, but I will touch you and strengthen you and put my love upon you, and that's all you need to know. So he says that. Now, So this prophecy comes with many specific details. This is the chapter 9, the 70 weeks prophecy. Many specific details about the future of Israel, a time of trouble concerning Messiah who who would oppose him. And above everything, it's clear there was a future for Israel. The nation would not end in captivity. It must have been sweet to Daniel to realize that his nation had a future, even though it was just a handful of people under terrible bondage. Two years now later, Daniel receives this news that we read in chapter 10. Cyrus had authorized a return to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, and many other people had not gone back. And those who were, and you can read about this in other narratives of the Bible, those who went back, the tiny groups that went back, encountered great opposition. They didn't just just go back immediately and rebuild Jerusalem and restore worship and all of that, and their national pride and all of that. And so this is probably, we don't know because the scriptures don't say, but this is probably what motivated Daniel to mourn and grieve. And that's what he's doing, mourning. Cyrus had authorized this return. The work was in jeopardy. He may have mourned as a result of that. He he goes into a three-week period of humiliation and prayer and fasting. This man took his prayer and spiritual warfare seriously, didn't he? It's interesting. At the end of the period, he sees an astonishing vision. You can't read it without thinking about Isaiah 6 or Revelation 1. It's like, what is this? Amazing vision he sees beyond human description. So that's Daniel's fourth vision. It's introduced in chapter 10. It's going to be given in chapter 11 and concluded in chapter 12. We're we're rounding third and heading for home in Daniel. Now, the men who were with Daniel... They fled in fear at this awesome sight, And it's probably a good time to remind us sometimes spiritual things are happening all around us and some of us are aware and some of us are not aware of it. Matter of fact, always things are happening around us in the spiritual realm. And we would want to think, number one, if I don't see it or I don't perceive it, it doesn't mean it's not happening. I take it by faith. But I might want to say, God, if it is possible for me to have greater insight... There are people who walk with the Lord in such a way that they see things that are going on that other people don't see. I don't mean they make them up. I mean they see them. They're tender-hearted. They're, they have the heart of God. They know the mind of God. They, they don't walk through the world like other people. They, they see things that are happening the way God sees things, and that makes a big difference. My, my dad would say... Um, he would say when a, a siren would sound, somebody's in trouble, let's stop and pray. Here Daniel is the one that's to see this vision. And, and if you read the text carefully, what you see over and over again is he is physically and emotionally shocked and weakened by this vision over and over again probably Gabriel, who touches Daniel and strengthens him, assures him his prayers will be answered, but they have been delayed because of opposition in the spirit world. This is a pretty interesting passage. You, you, You can't help but wonder, what is this? That the answer comes immediately. The Bible says that when Daniel prayed, the answer came immediately, but it was delayed by the prince of Persia, the spiritual warfare going on. And who would be strong enough to oppose whoever that being is that's described in that, which looks for all the world like the picture of Jesus in Revelation 1, I would identify it has to be Jesus, except I don't think Jesus would be opposed for 21 days. But scholars differ on this. It certainly would have stirred Daniel's heart to recognize he has a messenger from God, and he is moved by it. So Daniel, again, is speechless in verse 15, silent before the messenger of the Lord and humble. And the angel touches Daniel's lips and enables him to speak over and over in Daniel. You see, God touches Daniel to strengthen him, and God says, Daniel, you, you are beloved. Gotta like that. So this, again, he touches him, he strengthens him in verse uh, 18, verse 17, 16 through 18. For the, uh, for the second time, he's called a man greatly beloved, he's encouraged. Not to be in fear, but to be at peace and to be strong. And this is probably the takeaway message. Just like to make it easy for you and me both. If everything else I say is is dismissed or unclear, this book was written to encourage God's people even when things are hard. You should leave today aware that things are going to be hard and strong and encouraged in the Lord. Not you shouldn't leave today thinking, oh, I have God on my side, so everything's going to be easy for me. No, it's not. No, it's not. Never promises that. Not at all. But he also says we are victors, even if we're being prepared for the slaughter, we're still super conquerors. You know, that's from Romans 8. And so here we have um, the second time he's called a man, greatly beloved, encouraged to fear, but to be at peace and strong. And the angel said he would have to return to encounter the prince of Persia like this great conflict is continuing. And and most believe that there, there are demonic ranks of counterfeit fallen angels, demonic spirits that counterfeit the ranks of angels of God, and they're over territories. But We can't speculate and shouldn't speculate much about that, but recognize the reality of spiritual warfare. And so now, for these four, and then five, for a bonus, four things that will help you face fear that I see as insights from this text that we just talked through a bit and read through. And I'll just say it really cleanly, and that is this. Number one, take spiritual warfare seriously. That's number one. Take spiritual warfare seriously. I'm afraid. Well, you have reason to be afraid. There's a cosmic warfare going on where angels and demons are battling in the heavens for the allegiance of nations and the souls of men and churches. Now that sounds serious to me, and we should take that seriously. And Daniel takes that very seriously. I doubt that we take it as seriously as he did. He did take spiritual warfare seriously and see that the troubles that you have in the material, in the physical, probably have spiritual things going on behind them. So, you know, somebody might irritate me and I might look at them as the ultimate enemy. But, but, but I might have a more biblical view and say, well, he may be right now an enemy of God and God might make him a friend, but more than my enemy, he is a victim of the enemy. And so that, that should make me have some compassion for a person I don't want to forgive or I, I don't want to reconcile with or somebody that's hurt me and think, wait a minute. This person, Rick we're talking about the people by the road that have a sign you know, what you know what's their story right? I, that must be your life what's their story what What would you be doing if you went through what they went through i, I I've had a, a safety net under me all my life my My dad and mom are elderly people now. I saw them this week. This is kind of embarrassing to admit, but Every once in a while when I would be afraid or I'd think maybe, what if my life goes upside down and the, my church gets tired of me and they send me away and I don't have any income? I would always think, I, I, Lois, I don't think I ever told you this because it would probably not be a really happy thought. Um, I know that I could live with my mom and dad. We could, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? <laughs> we could move in with mom and dad, but they would, wouldn't, they They would help us. I have a safety net under me. If I get a flat tire and I can't fix it, I can call somebody. My dad would charge hell with a squirt gun to help me if I was in trouble. But there are people that don't have any safety net at all. But what is it that contributed to that? We, people that understand spiritual warfare, can you see how this would help you if you're dealing with anxiety, depression, fear? Okay, wait a minute. I see there's something going on here in the heavens. There are powerful, there's a powerful, um, omnipotent God. No one can successfully oppose him. He has outnumbered the enemy with ranks of powerful angels. And he has set in course a plan for the universe that will, he, that will be fulfilled according to his plan. And this is a temporary setback. Very painful, very difficult, very real, but temporary. So I understand the spiritual. Do you see that? I think Daniel clearly, when he pray, he immediately, his mind is something is going on in the heavens. He prays to God. He understands that the troubles he faces in the material, in the, in the physical world, have spiritual things behind them. And you, you must see this too. You, you see it, look in verse 20. Then I said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I'll return and fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Does that ring a bell? Remember the Persian dominance? over the world, and then the Grecian dominance over the world, well, they, were, they weren't just nations. They were spiritual entities behind driving those things. Sometimes you should see that when you watch this. What would make a person so hateful or dark or, 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 or a nation so cruel or, or a, a place so dark? Well, Christian people, they understand and take spiritual warfare seriously, spiritual realities seriously. And Daniel did that, and I would say When you face fear, take that seriously. And unless we, in case we overlook it, we read it, we talked about it, but let's read again verse 12, because this is fascinating. He says to me, fear not. He says, stand up, I need to tell you what's going on, right? Daniel stands up after being trembling and mute and all of that. Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Your words were heard. When you elders met at seven o'clock on Saturday morning, I heard you. I heard you. I couldn't tell. I heard you. Isn't that sweet? When that dear, precious, elderly lady who can't do any of the things she used to do and can't even get out of her wheelchair sends a prayer to heaven, God hears that prayer and can send powerful angels to answer it. (laughs) That's pretty sweet, isn't it? When things are out of our control, and they usually are, we can pray and don't let anyone tell you that thoughts and prayers don't matter. Daniel would disagree. Fear not, Daniel, from the first day you set your heart, understood, humbled yourself, before God your words were heard. I've come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. You understand, a, a demon, a powerful demon, principality, withstood me 21 days. And Michael, cheer from the crowd. <laughs> That's bigger than your Big Ten thing. <laughs> Michael, the archangel. We, we have little, we, have, we enjoy, don't we, James? We, we enjoy these little battles. That's fun, isn't it? We, it was 60 points, wasn't it? Not 59? Let's get this. Was it 60? Did Michigan score 60 points? No, No, it's 59. Thank you. (laughs) But it's fun. Why do we like that? Why do we like the band stepping on the field and and the the spats, the high stepping in? Because there's a glory in it. There's a human glory in it. And the kid that catches that ball, like how could a human being ever catch that ball and get both feet in bounds in college? It's amazing. And there's a glory in it. It's true. Because of humanness, like watching a girl that's dance all her life and you, you you know spring up in her dance and you think I can't even kneel to pray now and this girl can just do that it's amazing it's a glory in it because God reveals his glory in creation including people but his glory his superior glory will be so great multiply all those things that we saw glory in and and it's the glory of God and this is what God says this is the glory that he has this is the powerful glory, and this is the reality we should have. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Colossians, Paul said in Colossians, that in all things, he would have the preeminence. And, and Paul wrote it, and this is, hear this, this is so good. Um, Paul wrote about this spiritual warfare thing. Remember, the key passage in the Bible, in the New Testament, spiritual warfare has to be Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And then after that, in that passage, it gives a list of spiritual, of, of spiritual weapons that any Christian can use. And when you read the list, it's like, you're tempted to go, that's it? Truth, prayer, salvation? Like, okay. Okay. What are, it, don't we get like a lightsaber for demons anywhere? Is there, isn't there a, a, a kind of a mantra that we, that we repeat, special words, a formula of words that have magic appeal? Not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, you go to church. Assemble with the saints faithfully. Hear the preaching of the word of God. Sing the songs of the faith. Give of your money to help encourage one another help one another, make hamburgers for the big day, stay late, tear down the inflatables. That's spiritual warfare. You pray. You meet with the ladies on Wednesday morning, and you circle up, and you pray. Before Before you leave on a trip, the grandkids are with me, and I have such a good example in people that have gone before me, I can always remember stopping to pray before you leave on a trip why wouldn't you do that? Please give us safety. Uh, nowadays, I have a kind of a newer car. Thank you for paying me so nicely. I have a nice new car. And thank you for that. Um, it wasn't always that way. A lot of times my car didn't run well. <laughs> so I would, when I prayed, it was like, re- wasn't it? Holly, <laughs> remember this growing up? Lord, please help our car start this time. <laughs> I mean, literally, sometimes it's like, if, Lord, if you please let it start one more time, to get it home. I promise I'll call somebody over to get it fixed. I actually crawled under it a few times and fixed it myself. And You know I'm desperate if I'm doing that. We stop before we pray and say, God, please keep us safe on the road and help our car run. Why? Because we are, we are aware of the reality of the living God and those who oppose him take spiritual warfare seriously and use the means that he's given us like prayer and truth you see what I'm saying? We tend to want to look for something sensational or something remarkable, It's just great. They're wonderful when things come along like that and we can go to a stadium of 60,000 men. I would do that in a heartbeat, right? I love that. But, but not always going to be stadium of 60,000 men singing with us, as much as we'd love that. But sometimes it's like, go out and walk by the lake. Take your heartache to God. Your fear, your mourning. Tell God why you're sad. There by the river. Maybe God will open up his heaven for you. And open up your heart. And, and so th- that's that's number one. I gotta move. Okay, so that that's number one. Um, and and that is take spiritual warfare. seriously. My, my boy Kyle, he's a the, the one, the oldest one, he's a pastor up in Grand Rapids. And when he's little, we went to a conference, and I wanted him to really know God and love God. So I took him to this conference, and, and I took special time to drive him back and forth. In the fall of the year, it was in October, It was up in the Ohio Amish country, gorgeous country. Um and and we would drive there, and, and then in the evening, you couldn't see the colors in, in the countryside on the way home. But so on the way home, I said, we're going to listen to a book on tape. And, and this, you may doubt my wisdom, but I decided that we would listen to Frank Peretti, which are like spooky Christian novels about spiritual warfare. Maybe they're not entirely theologically acute, but the, the idea is there And so we would leave the conference late in the night or in the dark, and then I would put this tape. It was tape. It was back in the day, you know, and we put the tape in, and we would listen to this Christian novel about spiritual warfare because I wanted him to be a man of prayer and believe there is a God and his angels and the devil and his demons, and that's real. I was talking to him this weekend, and he told me something that made my heart glad. He said, I, I was out of touch for the last three days. And I get irritated with him if he doesn't call me back. You know, He said, I was out of touch for the last three days. I said, why? He said, I, I went on a silent retreat. I'm like, bro, I would never do that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would, I would do that. It would just be harder for some than others, right? Anyway, I'd go on a spiritual retreat, a silent retreat. And he was telling me about, he was praying and talking to God and trying to get, Try to hear from God, and how he came back to a Christian school, and he made a little talk to the kids about what he learned. I'm like, yes, this is the boy that we drove through tonight, and we listened to a book about spiritual warfare. Do you believe in spiritual warfare? Do you take it seriously? That's that, that's number one. I got to keep cranking here. Okay, so so th- we are not ignorant of his devices. Second one: pray like it matters. Take spiritual warfare seriously. If you want to fight fear, take spiritual warfare seriously. Two. Pray like it matters, because it does. Pray like you mean it. Take prayer seriously. Take spiritual warfare seriously. Pray. This is, I mean, how can you miss this from this text? You wouldn't have to be all that sharp to to get this from this text. It's like, he prayed, and it mattered. He prayed, and God answered. He kept praying, and God sent Michael the archangel. It's like, that that is a big deal, right? So that's kind of cool. Okay, pray. Pray. If you can't think of anybody else to pray for, always pray for your pastor, (laughs) right? I appreciate that. Um, you're like, obviously oh, so you need it. Um, so pray like it matters. When does Bethel pray? I always think Jesus asked me, you know, hey, you're the lead pastor. You're one of the lead elders here. When does your church pray? You, it's a Christian church, right? Can you imagine Jesus saying, Is a Christian church that you guys are doing? Yeah. When do you pray? Because Ken, I hear you talk a lot. When do you pray? When do your people pray? How would Bethel answer the question, when do your people pray? Here's the answer you're supposed to give. That not you love it when people tell you what you should say? Here's the answer you're supposed to give. And you're mature, you've been around the you've been around the horn. You 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 have other answers too. But can I just say humbly say this? When does Bethel pray? When we every time we gather in a small group, that's a prayer meeting. Every class should pray. Some are just for prayer, of course. That's wonderful. And we should do that regularly. And and then every time, and this is true, when when um our chairman of our, our elders presides over the advisory council of men and women who are our deacons. One thing I noticed when I first came here was somebody said, it's a collegial group. They get along well and they take care of business quickly. And that's been true in, in my time. It's like, wow, that's been a neat meeting, a good meeting. But the first part of the meeting is always prayer, always prayer. The elders meet, always pray first. And then I just like a little prayer, but I'm like, okay, who do we pray for now? And, um, this is like, let's not forget this. Take prayer seriously. Take it seriously in your home, in your in your personal life. Don't worry about like, don't, don't worry about like prevailing in prayer for hours and hours on your knees like the guys in the missionary biographies that might discourage you. But just talk to God. And as you're burdens get heavier. Maybe your prayers will get longer, but just to learn to just tell him your heart. Tell him if you see something beautiful, thank him for it. If you're afraid of something, let him know. If somebody wanders, pray them back into the fold. Just be a prayerful person. Let Bethel be a praying church, and I can say to the Lord, we pray all the time, Lord. Uh, I heard Gordon McDonald. Gordon is way up in his probably 90, close to 90, uh, maybe 90, maybe 89. He's Am I allowed to say that's old? And he, and, and he was speaking to a conference in February I went to. He gave an amazing talk. It's online. If you ask me, I'll show you how to find it. It's an amazing talk. It was like, you know, this is what I've learned over the years. You know? it was, and this, this brother, he's a good man. Here's one of the things he said. He said when he was young, dur- during the war years, his grandparents had to come home from Eastern Europe because they were missionaries in Eastern Europe, and they had to come home but they were still burdened for the people in Eastern Europe, and they were still burdened for the people of Europe and the people that were in war. And he would go to his grandmother's house, and she would read whole Pauline epistles to him and teach him, and he said it was really boring. But he would put up with it because then she would take him for walks and take him for ice cream and stuff. But they would always pray. And grandma and grandpa would always say, you know children your age in Germany right now are in war and these cities are being bombed right now and we're going to pray and they, and, he, and he said he listened the cities you know Dresden Frankfurt Hanover Stuttgart pray for the children in Dresden when he was a little boy his grandmother said pray for the children in Dresden they're being bombed they can get separated from their families they're innocent they didn't do anything to deserve this Gordon MacDonald said in his ministry then he was often he he became quite a proficient minister and was with inner varsity and such. And he he traveled and he traveled into Germany. When he would travel into Germany, he would always look at a group and he'd say, if you're about my age, raise your hand. And the people about his age would raise their hand. He goes, I want you to know that when I was a boy, I prayed for you. He says, whenever he would say that, people would just begin to weep all across the room prayer is not, if you think prayer is not a big deal, you, then I pray that you will be saved and I pray that God will make you tender in your heartaches, that you will grow in that. So take prayer seriously. First of all, I urge you, First Timothy says, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that he may, we may lead a quiet, peaceable life, godly, dignified in every way. I desire in every place men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling here's the third thing to fight fear to fight fear number one take spiritual warfare seriously number two take prayer seriously pray like you mean it number three even if you have to deny yourself and you will have to deny yourself something learn what god is doing in the world through his word get on board what is god doing in his world don't listen to other people what does god's word say god is doing this is what daniel did He got the word open. He studied the prophecies of the Bible. Daniel was a student of Bible prophecy. He studied the prophecies. He wasn't a kook nut. He wasn't a whack. You know, he wasn't a fruitcake. He wasn't a sensationalist. But he was serious about spiritual warfare. He took the Bible seriously and studied Bible prophecy and knew what God said was going to be happening and and believed that. And as a result, he prayed toward that. Know what God is doing in the world. This is important. And he, and, and he denied himself. He, he set aside certain foods for 21 days, and this wasn't the only time that he did that, and that's a good idea. Tom Harmon has been spiritually influential in our state. A friend of mine who's an itinerant preacher, he's been spiritually influential in our state. I know because I talked to hundreds of men who go, Tom Harmon, and you know, a lot of times I'll speak at a retreat, and people will say, I came to your retreat because Tom Harmon's retreat was full, which is really good for me. And uh, one time that happened, and Lois was with me, and she goes, does that hurt your feelings? I go, well, no, not really. And uh, but, he, but it shows you the, it shows you the spiritual influence of the guy. Fellow said to me one time, "Why?" Matter of fact, I was recommending him to speak somewhere where he was invited to speak to thousands of people, and he did it over and over again. It was kind of fun that I got to be a part of that. And the guy says to me, "Why should I have him speak?" And I said, "Here's why. He preaches the word. His messages are full of the Bible." and he is a leader of men. He, he tells them what he's done in his walk with the Lord, and men want to do it because he's done it. And so Tom, for instance, he would be preaching for faithful men of Michigan, and he would say, I could just see him doing it right now. Gave up Pepsi this year. Don't need it. Not going to drink Pepsi this year. And he set aside Pepsi. All the other guys are like, yeah, me too. I'm not going to drink Pepsi either because he was just a leader. Is good? And he said, I can deny myself. He was a police officer and he kids himself like, I went without donuts for a year. Neil, was it a year that you went without golf or a season that you went without golf? That too. And for the same reason, am I right? And I hope I'm not speaking out of school here for the same reason that, that you love golf and you're good at it, but Jesus is your King. And you want to make sure that your heart knows it. And everybody knows Jesus is my King. And he released him to go back and play golf. I think Tom might be drinking Pepsi again. I don't know. But uh, to deny yourself, this is what Daniel did. I would commend to you, forget about you know, golf and Pepsi. That's probably not your thing. But I am saying, you take God seriously. You take spiritual warfare seriously. You take prayer seriously. You take the Bible seriously. So you actually set aside time or effort. And you say, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to go away. Give this time to God. I'm going to spend this time in the world. I'm going to figure out what does God say he's doing in the world. Get involved in that thing. That's how you overcome fear. This is how Daniel turned his fear of circumstances into fear of God, which strengthened him. And this is for you helpful when you fear anxiety, depression, darkness, despair, you're facing a great depression, uh, a reversal, uh, a spiritual battle. Take spiritual warfare seriously. Take prayer seriously. Pray like it matters. Take seeking out what God is doing in the world seriously um, you saw it last week in the baptistry with a young, with a young, one of one, our young people, one, one young man who was invited here by one of our girls, been witness to at work. It was exhibit A. Here's was an 18 year old fellow who I heard. I didn't know Macaulay who was saved and was baptized among those who got baptized last week. Didn't know this. Wish I, wish I'd been more set, perceptive. His grandma was here. Can you guess what I'm going to say next? She'd been praying for him for years okay, grandmas, let's do this thing. Isn't that great? Keep praying, loving, inviting in gospel conversation. That's God's program. Number, number four, fight fear with fear. So, so number one is take spiritual warfare seriously. Number two is take prayer seriously. Number three is take the Bible and knowing God's ways seriously. And the fourth thing would be fight fear with fear because a person who fears God does not need to fear men fight fear with men. This is what he did. And a couple of weeks ago, Neil, you, you mentioned uh, books to read. This is such a helpful message. You mentioned books to read. Um, and I think you mentioned Knowing God, and you mentioned uh, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Absolute classics, both of them. And, and The Knowledge of the Holy as well by A.W. Tozer. Here's what we're saying. Here's what Brother Neil said. I agree. Get to know God. When God is big, problems are smaller. Is that good? Get to know God. Know more about God. Know more about His love. Know more about His sovereignty. Know more about His mission in the world. Learn more about God. The bigger God is, the smaller your problems are. That's fear God. You don't have to fear others. This is Daniel. He had a trembling fear of God. I had verse 8, no strength in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. This is a theme in this whole chapter. In verse 9, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground and behold, a hand touched me and and set me trembling on my knees. Uh, I stood up trembling. Verse 11. Verse 15, I turned my face toward the ground and I was mute. In verse 17, how can the Lord's servant talk with the Lord? For now no strength remains in me, no, no breath is left in me. He was... He feared God. He had a reverence for God, a holy awe for God. Let's not lose that in our time. That we would have, that we would see how awesome God is and have a holy reverence for God and pursue God. How beautiful is that. These are some things. Oh, can I say just one other? I'll just add this as a bonus. You got those four. Did you get them? And they're online if you forget. And the other one is never doubt when you're afraid that God loves you. God loves you. He kept saying it to Daniel. Oh, Daniel, you're greatly beloved. I'm going to help you understand this. He loves you. I know you're going to be tempted to doubt that. You're going to think, well, God doesn't love me. God doesn't know. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He sent his son, our Savior Jesus, to die. If I would give you my son, I would not withhold anything I had. And this is a a theme. A young man named Dave went to Vietnam His sister was named Julie. Julie said they got a call in the night, one night, and the whole family just held their breath. And there was one phone, and it was in the hall, and the whole family just kind of set up, and then dad went to the hall, and he answered the phone. And everybody just stood in the darkness, and nobody even turned on the lights, and they just listened. And you could hear on the other end of the line was her brother calling from Vietnam in terrible soul anguish. And saying to the terrible things he'd seen and the terrible things that he'd been involved in and he didn't know what to do. And he's describing it to his dad, the dad just listened in silence. And then every once in a while, this is what the dad would say, David, I love you. I love you, David. And then the boy would just pour out more of the terrible things he'd seen, the fear that he had and all, of the, all those questions and fears that he had. And then his dad would say, I love you, David. Now, our God is able to say more than he loves us, but he does say that first, and he wants us to know. And so today, I trust that you will take spiritual warfare seriously. Pray like you mean it. Take prayer seriously. Take knowing what God is doing in the world through searching his word seriously. Never, never doubt the love of God for you. And learn to overcome fear and anxiety in your own life.